Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, I'm Orlando Crowcroft, world editor at IB Times UK. Welcome to our new podcast, In the Field. Each week we speak to journalists and stringers, aid workers and experts who are at the heart of the stories that matter. This week we're crossing the Atlantic to look at America one month before Donald Trump's inauguration on the 20th of January. Trump has been keeping everyone on their toes with his appointments, and as we recorded this episode, he was yet to decide on who he wants as his Secretary of State, arguably the most important job in his new cabinet. He's also been annoying the Chinese, refusing to attend briefings, and questioning the existence of climate change. But what will Trump's America look like? Will the brash billionaire rein it in after the 20th of January? Will he roll back on some of his more outlandish campaign promises? Will he stop tweeting in the early hours of the morning? This week, we talked to Melissa Deckman, a professor at Washington College, and our Washington-based correspondent, James Tennant, to try and get some answers. So Melissa Deckman is a professor at Washington College. Um, she's going to talk to us about the impact of the election in America, how people are feeling about it. We've got about a month until Trump's inauguration, so um, I think the dust has settled a little bit. Um, Melissa, first, just talk me through how you felt on the night when, when this first happened. Well, I think as a political scientist, I was shocked that Trump uh, won uh, the Electoral College. Now, of course, uh, many people who study elections and do fancy models had predicted that Hillary Clinton would win. Um, and she did, of course, end up uh, securing uh, more than two million more votes than, than Donald Trump. Uh, but but clearly, a lot of us got it wrong. So I think a lot of us were really surprised that Donald Trump was elected president. And, and in terms of how the uh, how people have reacted around you know you know where you live and your friends and people in in professional fields i mean are people kind of have they come to terms with it now or is there still quite a lot of shock um i think for those who are very liberal those who are passionate democrats um they're still in shock um some of them hold out hope that perhaps some of these sort of um outlandish schemes to have the electoral college deny him the victory will work um but i think um the reality is setting in for most people um we see a cabinet forming we see trump um and be, being more engaged and so it's it's going to happen so i think there's 
a level of acceptance. I think also that Democrats are sort of trying to figure out what happened, how they lost the election, and where to go from, from here. But for many Republicans, I think that they're accepting Trump, even Republicans who, frankly, were uh, part of the never-Trump crowd, who were not thrilled with his nomination. Um, they've sort of coalesced in line because Republicans now have an opportunity. They control both houses of Congress. Um, their man is in the White House. And so they're looking at this as an opportunity to really make some major changes, especially in terms of economic policy. Yeah, there's an argument, isn't it? I, I've, I've heard it said anyway by some American um, commentators that actually this is going to be almost like a government by Congress. So the, the congressional Republicans are going to be able to get away with pushing through a lot of reforms because Trump is just going to rubber stamp them. Well, you know, that's what a lot of people are, are saying about um, Trump's first uh, month after being elected. It looks as though Mike Pence, his vice presidential pick, um, his hands are all over the appointments, his hands are over some of the major policy initiatives. And in, in lots of ways, Trump has sort of morphed into a more conventional Republican, especially when it comes to economic policy. Um, and so I think that many Republicans in Congress have long wanted to cut taxes. They've wanted to uh, roll back regulations in lots of areas. And frankly, his appointments to places like the Environmental Protection Agency has given lots of um, Republican businessmen hope that there's going to be a lot of changes that will increase their profitability. Of course, you know, critics of Trump would maintain that his populist rhetoric is not really being matched by who he's appointing to the cabinet. And I think that many Republicans in Congress are going to have a lot of leeway in enacting changes that they want. And we're still waiting, of course, for Secretary of State, which will be a very important um, decision. Yeah, that um, has really been an interesting um, debate to watch. And in reality, I guess the thinking now is that uh, Rex Tillerson is, is, uh, has merged atop the list. Um, this has given a lot of people pause. Even some Republicans in the Senate, for example, Lindsey Graham and John McCain, are looking at this pretty critically because Tillerson, as head of ExxonMobil, of course, one of the largest um, energy companies in the United States, has very, very close ties to Vladimir Putin. And um, with recent revelations by the government that um, Russia had got involved in this year's presidential election, um, even some Republicans in the Senate are sort of have raised eyebrows over this, this election. Not to mention Tillerson, of course, has absolutely no diplomatic experience <laughs> prior to this. So that's going to be an interesting uh, one to watch if, in fact, he can survive the nomination process. I mean, in the, in the wake of the Brexit vote here in England, we had, um, sorry, in the UK, we had uh, we had a kind of spike in racist attacks. We had a lot of a lot of speculation that this had really unearthed something. Um, has there been a similar kind of thing in the in the U.S.? Oh, absolutely. I think that um, you know, well before this election, the term alt right was one that wasn't really banded around, banded about much in the U.S. And so, since uh, Trump's election, there's been sort of a surge in um, interest in and discussion about the alt right, which is really just a term to sort of describe sort of a, a loose coalition of white nationalists uh, working in the United States. Now, their opinion is still far outside of the mainstream, but the sheer fact that you have Americans who hold this view of of looking at, at whites as some sort of endangered class and arguing for policies that separate whites from people of color. The fact that we're having these conversations is really troubling to, to lots of Americans. And the fact, frankly, that Trump in, put in place as his chief strategist in the White House, Steve Bannon, has really caused some anxiety and, and worry by, by many Americans. And so it's unleashed, I think, a lot of rhetoric um, that's hateful, um, that has really shocked a lot of Americans, including people who are Republicans. So it, it, it's really been uh, remarkable in, in ways that are not good, I think. 
And of course, an area that you've written a lot about, of course, is rhetoric against women as well. Yes, yes. And so that also has been, I think, somewhat problematic. You know, a lot of uh, feminists were hopeful that Hillary Clinton would be elected as our first uh, president in the country and talking about the importance of women's rights. Uh, Instead, of course, the country elected someone uh, who (laughs) said some hateful things about about women, who's been charged with um, sexual harassment and and other sorts of of terrible things. And so for the country to elect this man despite that uh, has many women's rights activists worried. What will be interesting, though, is to see um, with the election of not just Republicans in Congress, but more uh, Republicans were elected to our state legislatures. Already there have been moves, for example, to restrict abortion rights uh, in states where Republicans gained more seats at the state legislative level. And so lots of, of women's rights activists are very concerned about things like abortion rights and, and equal pay legislation. Um, these are not things that Republicans necessarily care about or prioritize. And so a lot of uh, feminists are concerned about uh, what will happen with women's rights. Uh, under a Trump administration and with Republicans controlling more and more state legislative seats around the country. I mean, in the run up to the to the election, Trump really did did kind of nail his colours to the mast when it came to abortion. And I imagine people saw that kind of quite cynically as an effort to, to draw in the anti-abortion kind of religious right. Do you think there's any suggestion that he will go as far as he kind of threatened to go? Well, I think his selection of Mike Pence, who is one of the most staunch anti-abortion uh, rights um, activists in the country, I think really shows that this is a, a situation where in Congress you could see attempts to, for example, defund Planned Parenthood. Uh, Republicans in Congress have tried to do that the last several years. Planned Parenthood is a nonprofit organization that also happens to be the largest uh, abortion provider in the United States. And for decades, it's received lots of money because Planned Parenthood also provides low-cost health care for women. Most of what their work involves is things like um, uh, helping women in terms of, of you know, routine uh, health care and things like that, uh, providing birth control. Um, but, you know, they are, again, the one of the country's leading uh, abortion providers. And so I think that, of course, will, will end up being defunded because you have a Republican in the White House and you have Republicans in Congress who have tried for years uh, to stop federal funding of that organization. Um, that, I think, will happen. Um, whether Congress will pass and enact tougher restrictions, you know, I think it, there's a really good shot that that will happen as well. Mm. I think many uh, American women and many men who are, are pro-choice, frankly, have sort of taken that right for granted. But now you have in place an administration and members of Congress who are going to work very hard to sort of chip away at accessibility to abortion rights in the country. Mm. And not to mention the Supreme Court, right? So now uh, Trump has the uh, ability uh, in the first uh, couple of months to appoint a Supreme Court justice. Uh, the court is very divided on this issue. And so he's, I believe, going to choose someone who is uh, pretty avowedly pro-life. And that gives the pro-life uh, cause some hope uh, that abortion, eventually maybe even Roe versus Wade, which is the decision that legalized abortion could be overturned. Um, but, you know, it's, it gives lots of women's rights activists pause. I mean, in terms of how people are dealing with it, I mean, people who aren't Trump supporters, um, what's the kind of view? And people saying, okay, four years, let's get our head down, try and do damage limitation and plan, you know, for, for a change in four years' time. I mean, what's the plan? <laughs> I, I still think Democrats are trying to cope with, with what happened, and um, they're still in denial that... Um, that they lost. But, you know, they're, they're having frank conversations about what direction the party heads in. You know, a lot of people like Joe Biden 
who is, of course, leaving the vice president's post, have talked about how the Democrats lost the white working class. You know, mm. the Democrats have always been a party for the working man historically. But yet um, Trump did extremely well with white working class men. And so there's a conversation in the Democratic Party about how to reach, how to pull those voters back into the Democratic fold. Um, there are those who say that we should really just stick with, uh, the Democratic Party should stick with um, sort of the diversity message that uh, helped to elect Barack Obama in 2008 and 2012. And so the Democrats right now are doing, I think, some deep soul searching about what his message should be. You know, the Democrats, again, did very poorly, not just uh, in losing the White House and in, in being a unable to uh, win back either House of the of Congress, but, you know, they lost seats at the state legislative level. Mm -hmm. And so there is some very fierce discussion among Democrats what they need to do to kind of rebuild themselves at the grassroots level. And that has yet to really materialize. I think a lot of people felt that if Bernie Sanders had been the nominee, he would have been elected president because mm -hmm. he had a message that was more economically populist. Um, and of course, many Democrats uh, say that Trump kind of stole that message, and by the looks of who he is appointing to his cabinet with alum from Goldman Sachs, et cetera, uh, he's really probably not going to, to really champion the cause, I think, of the working class in, in lots of ways. Is it really interesting parallels, though, because, I mean, this same thing happened in the UK, and as a result, we got Jeremy Corbyn, a socialist, elected the leader of the, you know, the Labour Party. Um, so I, I, I think whether the Democrats will do the same, whether they'll go to the left now and think of a Sanders-like candidate for 2020. Yeah, no, that is, is really a, a good point. I mean, there, it's, there's really no heir apparent. I mean, I think one thing about this election is for, for Democrats, um, for four years, there was the thought that Hillary Clinton was the heir apparent. And so she really failed to amass any concrete challengers. And the one person who gave her a run for the money was Bernie Sanders, who many Democrats laughed off. They said, there's no way that, that Sanders could be um, uh, elected as the nominee. He's too far to the left. He's not even a Democrat, frankly, right? Mm -hmm. He just decided to run as a Democrat. He's always been an independent, uh, self-proclaimed socialist in, in Congress. But, you know, he came pretty darn close to winning the nomination, which again speaks to the fact that many Democrats are unhappy with the status quo as well. So watching this battle among the Democrats is going to be just as fascinating as seeing what's happening on the, on the right side of the spectrum, too, in this country. Yeah. So last question. I mean, we've talked about what the Democrats are going to do, you know, going forward, reforming the party, looking to the next election. But in terms of regular people on the street who don't like Trump's message, they don't approve of the racism, of the foreign policy gains, of the, of the attitude towards women, how do they deal with the next four years? Um, I think it's not going to be a very happy four years <laughs> for yeah. these folks. You know, a lot of people are, are speculating that, you know, Donald Trump might end up being impeached, right, because he's, some of his behavior already is so outlandish as president-elect. Um, but I don't think that's a, a winning strategy. I think that for those folks, the activists have to sort of regroup and figure out how they can make changes locally and, and try to beef up the party. I just think for some, it's going to be uh, four years in the wilderness, and they're not going to be happy with the results of this election. You know, America is extremely polarized politically, and we saw this in this election cycle in ways that we hadn't before. Um, and so I think it's, it's going to be coming to grips for lots of, of Democrats on the left. Uh, Republicans, however, are very optimistic, and they're very happy about um, the changes that a Trump administration could bring. So um, it's going to be fascinating to watch in lots of ways. Fascinating. Thanks so much for your time, Melissa. Oh, happy to do so. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. 
Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Now over to James in D.C. So, James, welcome to In the Field. Thank you very much. We know you've only been in America for a couple of days, um, just moved over there. Um, but we'd love to know your kind of first impressions uh, politically of how the, the, the election and uh, Trump and so on is being received. So, I mean, in my first couple of days, I've been very excited to talk to people about everything that's going on. And everybody that I've talked to has seemed not quite as excited to talk to me. I've, uh, I've mostly been in, in liberal areas over the last couple of days. And and everybody seems very, very despondent with the yeah. results. Uh, I'm currently down in, in Charlottesville, where the, the University of Virginia is. So there's lots of students. And I think for many of them, it was their, it was the first election where they really felt involved. You know, it might have been the first one they were voting or it was one where they canvassed and campaigned or, yeah. or had, had Hillary stickers and that sort of thing. And uh, I actually had a friend a couple of days ago who said, uh, I felt really excited by this election and I felt so disappointed by the result that I really just don't want to have anything to do with politics anymore. But were they were they Hillary supporters then or were they more Sanders 
Yeah, mo most of them were, were originally Bernie people who had then uh, gone on to support Hillary reluctantly. But anything was anything was better than Trump in their eyes. Yeah, so I mean, they were, I guess, I guess in, in Trump's terms, they were very much part of the kind of liberal elite who weren't really expecting this to happen, like us journalists and everyone else. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's it's sort of funny with with Washington D.C. because we, we talk. We, there's that sort of that comment about London being like the the metropolitan liberal center, but for D.C. it's it's really quite true. Yeah. I mean, the election result for the District of Columbia was, I think it was 93% voted for Clinton, wow. which is, is quite like an astounding amount. Yeah, to, to the point that, like, I think if you saw that result in like a number of other countries, you'd immediately assume foul play. Yeah, it's the kind of Richmond of, uh, you know, with, with the Brexit vote, it was that was something like 80% remain. Yeah, yeah. So I was trying to think about the uh, the similarities between the... The, the aftermath of Brexit in the UK and, and uh, the sort of feeling I'm getting here. And one is definitely that there's no, though there's a lot of talk of, of coming together, there's a lot of talk of, of, oh, we're going to unite and, and unity is very important now. There doesn't seem to be any, any sort of action or real, real feeling from either side that they're going to do that. Right. There's a lot of bitterness and a lot of gloating, really. Yeah, it's it's um it's really interesting. And those people you were talking you were talking about earlier who 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 said that they were very despondent, the young people. Do you get the impression that they will do that, that they will get involved and and start new movements, or do they kind of want to want to get out of politics now before they've even really got into it? Well, I don't know. I mean, it's probably like a stage of grief, right? I'm not sure yeah. what the five stages are, but I'm sure that's one of them. Um, yeah. It seems like the election has done has sent people in in two different extremes and that there are some people who are now just sort of fed up with with politics at all I, I, I'm talking about I'm talking about uh, liberal people democratic supporters um, there are people who are just kind of fed up with it and then I think there are a few people who feel a bit more kind of radicalized by it who now want to get much more involved and feel like they need to get much more involved right. And as a journalist, you just you've moved there now to cover this story, um, which on the twentieth of January will you know will be Trump's America. I mean, do you expect that to be more difficult than it would have been, say, covering a traditional candidate like like Hillary? I mean, Trump's relations with the press have been idiosyncratic to say the least. I mean, they've been they've been hostile. Uh, do you think that that will be reflected in in covering the White House? The thing about Trump is that there's a there's a terrifying amount of stories that are constantly coming out. Um, so he's sort of wonderful for journalists in that way that you're you're never you're never really searching for anything. I mean, he's he's about to do his first press conference uh, later in December. Right. Uh, it's in a few days actually. I think it's on the fifteenth. Uh, this was after he announced that uh, he would be handing his business down to his children. He said yeah. he would do a big press conference of it. And this is now the first proper full press conference he's done since uh, July 20, uh, 27th. Right. Apart from that, he's only really stuck to doing the one-on-one the -on -one interviews where, you know, he can be a bit loud and, and be a, kind of aggressive enough without having a, a, 
like a, a swarm of journalists asking him uh, asking him questions. So, I mean, we'll see how that goes. And um, there was a lot of talk of him calming down as soon as he won as soon as he won the election. So, we'll see whether that's that's really the case. I mean, his his recent actions, even in the last week or so, demonstrate that perhaps he has no intention of calming down. Well, I mean, he stepped away from some of his campaign rhetoric. I, I haven't I haven't heard him mention the wall in a very long time. Um, That's true, yeah. But he's, he still has this very defensive side, and he's still very quick to react to, to, to criticism, it seems. Um, so I think in that, in that regard, no, he hasn't, he hasn't really calmed down. But the kind of policy ideas that were coming out during the campaign, you know, it, we're not really sure whether he, whether he really meant them. Yeah. Because, yeah, the wall is the perfect example because we really haven't heard that much about it since, since he was elected. And his, his ban on, his uh, proposed ban on Muslims entering America as well. It's another thing that has, has sort of disappeared a little bit. Apart from there was talks of, uh, of a, a list of uh, a database of Muslims in America, but not, not the, uh, the ban that was talked about before. Yeah, a register was, they were talking about. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see when he has to go up against these kind of seasoned White House hacks. I mean, he is so defensive, as you said, and he hasn't really had to do that before. And the conventional relationship between, say, the press corps and, uh, and the president is going to be really turned on its head. Well, the question is whether or not he's going to do it at all. I mean, there were there were senior Republicans who were saying, like, why does he have to do any press conferences now? They, they sort of, uh, and Trump and the team around him feel so they they have this idea that they've been like unfairly attacked by the press, and so now are uh, saying, well, why do we have to deal with them? Yeah, and. I mean, pretty much he could just not do another press conference. And as a journalist, someone who's, who's covered a few things over the years, what do you, how do you feel about the prospect of covering Trump? As a journalist, it's quite exciting. As, as someone uh, living in, uh, now living in America, it's, 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 I suppose, a little bit worrying. Uh, it's hard to it's hard to say because everything seems very unpredictable at the moment. I can't I can't really imagine where we're going to be in uh, by by January once uh, once he's inaugurated. Yeah. So it's hard to say. Yeah, and we don't even know who Secretary of State's going to be yet. So I mean, it'd be very interesting. Yeah, that's true. The Secretary of State thing was was funny with with Rex Tillerson now. Um, looking like the the front runner because it seems very much like Trump is he's he's kind of uh, rejecting a lot of his his early friends from the campaign Rudy Giuliani the former mayor of New York was quite publicly campaigning to be to be secretary of state in in a in in a pretty unprecedented way yeah and has now now lost out or seemingly lost out on that job yeah, and then there was the same with uh, uh, with Chris Christie, the the New Jersey governor. There was a report that came out last night that uh, he he'd been offered a few a few posts, the cabinet level positions, but uh, had rejected them all because he wasn't getting what he wanted. He wanted uh, he wanted attorney general, right? Which has has now gone to the um, fantastically named Jeffrey Sessions. 
Yeah, it's a real it's a real motley crew of characters. His cabinet. Yeah, it's um, it's. I think there's more more millionaires or more billionaires than any other. Yeah, and a and a surprising number of generals as well. Yeah. Well, listen, exciting times, and thanks for talking to us, and uh, good luck with uh, living in Trump's America. Uh, thank you very much. So that's the situation over in the US, just over a month until Inauguration Day. We've included rich links to some of the stories that Melissa has contributed to over the past few weeks, so if you're listening on Acast, be sure to go back and check them out. Also, make sure to keep up with James's coverage from the US on ibtimes.co.uk. Also, if you like this podcast, please subscribe on iTunes and leave us a review. Next week, we'll be focusing on China and looking at the impact of Donald Trump's threat to end America's support for Beijing's One China policy with regards to Taiwan. The Chinese had initially welcomed Trump's election. Are they still so keen now? Until then, take care.